0: Good morning, good morning everybody, this is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by Two Ways One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff going on in the world of baseball sports and unified America. Just a reminder, if you want to be part of the show, you can just send a comment, whether it's YouTube, Facebook Live. Anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and Unify in America. A couple of topics we're going to get into today. We're going to talk a little baseball like we always do. am going to mention a little bit about Tim Thomas and his battle with uh, potential head injury, concussion. A little bit about the college football playoffs coming up. But I'd be remiss if I didn't hit a couple real quick sound bites real quick. First of all, uh, Randy Lurch has a new book out, it's called God in a Bullpen. I'm going to read it and then we'll be speaking with Randy on his show about his journey and some of the trials and tribulations he had as he battled substance abuse over the course of his Major League Baseball career. Uh, The other thing that I have to mention is the, the health and actually prayers for the health of the great NBA Commissioner David Stern, who obviously is still in serious condition after having surgery on his brain. And, you know, you, you talk about some of the best to ever oversee a sport. You know, you think of Pete Rosell and the run that he had. You could certainly talk about in baseball if you want with Kennesaw Mountain Landis, even though, you know, you talk about racism as it really applied to him. He was a racist. He was a known, a known racist at the time. And especially when you talk about society the way it is now, there's absolutely no tolerance for any sort of racism so this man was a racist because of that that's part of his image that's part of how he is tarnished and will forever be remembered but I can't think of and maybe Roselle would be close but a commissioner that had more impact on a particular sport than David Stern and as we continue to pray for him that he gets through you know the obvious Uh, seriousness of having his brain operated on and obviously not in the best health now as he gets towards the latter part of his seventies, but a a commissioner in the national basketball association for 30 years from 1984 to 2014 did more in that time than really anybody outside of Roselle. So we continue to pray for David Stern and his recovery as he gets through uh, the, the tough trials that are going on over the courses he's battling for his life at the moment so we're, we're thinking about this and I was talking about this with a buddy of mine the other day the impact of player salaries how they've impacted certain sports and it seems to be different in baseball as it opposed as opposed to other sports and this is the one thing that frustrates me. Because I believe when you talk about baseball and you talk about football and you talk about basketball, you're dealing with three individual instances where there's so much revenue being generated by the individual sports. And baseball seems to just, I don't know if it's a pompousness or an arrogance or whatever it is. It just feels like it has the ability to do whatever it is. It wants, and I think it applies to the owners. And I've always looked at baseball owners and wondered what their deal was, what their problem was. Going back 150 years, even through the last 30 or 40 years before Marvin Miller was able to get the injunction to grant free agency and end the reserve clause, which obviously was something that was started by Kurt Kurt Flood, but a lot of other players in previous generations tried to do it. I remember or I know of Danny Gardella in 1947, leaving Major League Baseball to play in the Mexican League. And all those players that jumped to the Mexican League were basically barred from coming back to the sport or blacklisted because they pursued something that was going to pay them a little more than what they were being paid. But Major League Baseball owners forever almost have the comparison to the devil in regards to their pompousness and arrogance And really, they're thought that they're going to do whatever it is that they want within a sport. And that bothers me. That, That damn near pisses me off. Because I think of the operation of football. I think of the operation of basketball. And you don't have a single owner, or if you do, it's very few, that are claiming poverty in any one of those sports. You don't have a single owner in football or basketball that are talking about how they don't have the ability to pay a star player. They may make a choice that they have a star player that they don't feel like giving them the big money. You may have you know, a situation in the National Football League where they choose to go the franchise tag. But you know what? You're still paying that player a lot of money. But in baseball, you could say because the team that the owner happens to own is in a small market, it has to operate so much different than any other team in any other sport. And the problem I have with that is you look at small markets as they apply to basketball and to football, and none of them are struggling when it comes to payroll. Some of them may be struggling in regards to revenue, but those sports understand the confines of what the player's salaries are within a sport. Owners of baseball Want to control exactly how much money a certain player is played. Now it doesn't apply to all owners. How Steinbrenner and the Yankees, you know John Henry and the Red Sox, you know the Cubs, all the big market teams, or the teams that you see year after year, the Lerner family with the Washington Nationals—they understand that you have to pay for your players. And if you don't, if you're not necessarily paying for players that are coming from other organizations. Whether it's a Garrett Cole with the Yankees or you know it's a Patrick Corbin with the Nationals, you're gonna at least pay for your own players. But you have less than half the league, twelve teams or so, that want that feel like they are holier than thou in regards to their owners. And I think that's disgusting. Basketball doesn't operate this way, football doesn't operate this way. There's no team in any of those other sports. That even though they make decisions on certain players they want, they're never going to claim poverty. They're never going to cry and say, oh, in Cleveland, it's impossible for us to give Francisco Lindor the money that he needs. The Miami Marlins, who are claiming poverty now, didn't have any issue giving Giancarlo Stanton 300 million. So if they're going to claim that they're a small market now, they're the biggest example of a hypocrite. But this bothers me. Why is it that owners in Major League Baseball feel that they can basically grab the beat to the tune of their own drum? They do whatever it is that they want. They're on this mission to curtail players' salaries. When you've watched football boom and basically take over for baseball as the national pastime of this country. And basketball's getting there. As we hit what well, we'll call the opening point of the past ball show, anything that's on your mind in the world, of baseball sports in Unified America, please you can give the show a call if you want. 732 364 3598. Comment, Facebook, YouTube, whatever. At me at John underscore Pelli. I don't really care. The baseball's owners, once again, you got the Pirates, you got the Marlins, you got the Rays, you got the Athletics, you got the Indians. Oh my God, we don't have. The money to pay our players. Did you understand that that was part of the agreement that you took when you became an owner of a Major League Baseball franchise? You're going to have to pay the players. But the problem is, because there's no salary cap in baseball, it also means that there's no salary floor. And because of that, you have either the haves or the have-nots. So I blame Major League Baseball, its owners, but also its players association for being in a situation that it is. Because it's basically allowing the owners to dictate how they want to operate their team. Yes, if baseball is getting more top-heavy than it ever was. The dream exists. That you could be the Houston Astros and go through a series of terrible years and build up and get some good young players and then go for it. Maybe that's the model that other teams should be following. Other teams have followed suit and, by the way, haven't had a ton of success Yankees haven't won a World Series championship yet. They went out there and got Garrett Cole, went back to their old ways. The Dodgers, they tried it. They haven't won a World Series. So it hasn't worked for teams that are saying, hey, let's take that Houston Astros model and just stink for a series of years and we'll go out there and win ourselves a World Series championship when we develop our own good young players. Other teams got good young players, but they ain't winning a World Series. You basically got the haves and have nots, the owners that are willing to go out there and spend because they understand that payroll is part of the purchase of a Major League Baseball franchise. And then you got the other owners that really don't deserve a job as the owner. And if baseball would get off its ass and set up something to where there is a salary cap, which you hear all the time that the players would not accept, but if there's a salary cap in conjunction with a salary floor, teams are going to be forced to keep their payrolls at a certain level. The same as we have in the National Hockey League. There's a salary floor. You can't be cheap as an owner in the National Hockey League. If you're going to own a National Hockey League team, you have to have the wherewithal to have a payroll above a certain amount of money. And if you don't have that, you number one, you shouldn't buy the team. Number two, you won't last in the sport. Like I said, football and basketball... Because they agreed to salary caps, teams are using the salary cap as a number that they can't top. And you've seen over time, salaries for players in the National Basketball Association and the NFL grow to a point where every team is right up there with the salary cap. Some teams are a little bit down. Maybe they have a lot of money coming off, but it's talked about as a good thing. You know, the Jets last year, a lot of money coming off of their salary cap. All right, they, they could splurge in free agency. The Tennessee Titans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers—teams that, if they were playing in baseball, they'd be they'd be crying poverty. They understand that their payrolls have to be within a certain confines. There's no team in football that's saying, "Hey, we're going to try to throw out forty million dollars," and it, have that be our whole payroll. Baseball, hey, the owners get to do whatever the hell they want, right? It's freaking disgusting. This copyrighted broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the world wide web, and a solely free entertainment of our audience. Any publication, or reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. Now, you know, I was a little bit in a tease with my title. And you hear the number 86 and you think of the New York Mets and the last time that they won a World Series championship. And I think what I love about double entendres is the fact that, you know, the two different meetings can be totally distinct. And I like how I may have led some people thinking that the Mets are on this mission to get themselves to the World Series and do what they did in 1986. But I think they're doing the exact opposite. You hear the general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, and listen, he may, I, I think he may have something up his sleeve. hes He loves the attention. He loves the thought of making a splash. So, you know, at this point, you could think, hey, anything is on the horizon when you think of this team and what to expect for next year. But you're also starting to get the sense that Brody Van Wagenen is dealing with the same issue that Sandy Alderson had to deal with. Brody Van Wagenen is dealing with the same issue that Omar Minaya and Jim Duquette and Steve Phillips and Joe McIlvain and Al Harrison and Frank Cashin have to deal with. And not so much Frank Cashin because the one thing that has happened since Frank Cashin was the Mets general manager on through the time that Brody Van Wagenen is the Mets general manager is Fred Wilpon has gained controlling interest in the team and a lot within the last decade or so of, of the day-to-day operations have been passed to his son, Jeff. And the unfortunate thing about this is while the Mets will agree to be at a certain payroll number, which is better than the teams that I just mentioned, they're at least trying, the ownership will never give the general manager enough Of a say to put that team over the top and that's what the Mets need if they're gonna be better than the team that they were last year in 2019 in fact you talk about 86 wins which is what they had last year three games short of the National League wild card spot which ended up going to the Milwaukee Brewers wasn't good enough it wasn't good enough for Mickey Callaway to keep his job they fired their manager because they won 86 games now Brody Van Wagenen, who's probably the prime example of a used car salesman or maybe even a new car salesman. Think about it. We're in the month of December. You see those Lexus commercials out there. You know, this is the time of the year where you think of a bow, putting around a car and delivering it to somebody as a gift. Even though the percentage of people that are giving, you know, loved ones cars for Christmas probably not very high. But you see those commercials all the time. But Brody Van Wagenen is perfect for that industry. Because he'll take, you know, the Robinson canoe, and talk about the classic car, maybe make him, turn him into a classic car. Let's say he is a beat-up Rolls-Royce, but it's still a Rolls-Royce. Think of a Rolls-Royce and a history and the value of that car that it had years upon years ago. And somebody sees you driving down the road or somebody drives by your house and sees that Rolls-Royce in your driveway, even though the engine ain't working, even though it's completely not operable, that person's gonna be like, wow, look at that. And that's basically what Brody Van Wagen is trying to sell the Mets fans about Robinson Cano right now. And he's also trying to sell you that hey, if everything clicks, if the starters that he had last year, Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard, and you know your lesser version of Zach Wheeler, which is gonna be Rick Porcello and Michael Waka, if they're all healthy and perform to their best, The Mets could go out there and win 86 games again this year. And for a team that basically the general manager said, and it's just the truth, this is what he said, come get us in 2019, the Mets are not in a position to do any better than they did last year. So the quest for the New York Mets, if you're a New York Mets fan, this is what you need to hear. The goal for the 2020 season right now is to win 86 games again. And guess what? They ain't going to be enough to get in the playoffs. They ain't going to be enough to get any better than third or fourth place in the National League East. You look at the Phillies, who continue to go out there and get the best upon the best. They signed Bryce Harper last offseason. They traded for J.T. Real Mudo. This year, they hired Joe Girardi. They signed D.D. Gregorius. They signed Zach Wheeler away from the Mets. They've done everything they could to get better. The Atlanta Braves won a division last year. They're trying to get better. They've revamped their bullpen. They'll probably get another third baseman to replace Josh Donaldson if he ends up leaving. Maybe they'll trade for Chris Bryant. You got the Washington Nationals, who, who, oh yeah, by the way, won the freaking World Series last year. So you got those three teams in your own division. And you're going to try to say, hey, 86 wins, which we said wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for Mickey Calloway to keep his job in 2020 for this year. But now 86 wins is going to be good enough this coming year with Carl's Beltran and the same cast of characters that you have from last year. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beechwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. So I was thinking about. excuse me, the upcoming uh, bowl championship series in college football. And something that we saw last year, a chance for those teams that have their schedule to play that one extra game. And how it has changed the history of college football. And obviously the modern day or the younger college football fan only remembers you know, the playoffs. The top four teams in a country getting a chance to kind of play it out and The dream that exists, hey, can you make it six? Can you make it eight? I think that'll be too much, but listen, in the need more society, I think at some point we are going to get ourselves to that. There's going to be more teams playing in the BCS playoff. Probably six at one point, maybe eight. I hope it doesn't go any further than that. I would prefer it to be where it is right now because if you look at the setup, whether it's LSU, whether it's Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, There really isn't that much of a dispute over who's in. You can talk about some of the teams that are left out. Alabama had their opportunity, but they lost two games. Georgia had their opportunity, lost two games. So the way it ended up working out is that there wasn't that team that was right on the edge to compete with the likes of Oklahoma. The three undefeated teams are in. Nobody's going to dispute why LSU or Ohio State or Clemson are in. But at 14, you're looking at one of the very rare or very few teams that had just one loss. So Oklahoma deserves it. They're going to play LSU. Ohio State will play Clemson. And the winner of the national championship in college football, as long as it's not, Oklahoma will finish with 15 wins in the 2019 college football season. Something that To this point, has only been done five times in the history of college football. Now, last year was one of them when Clemson won the national championship with 15 wins. Penn in 1897 was 15 and 0. Penn in 1892 was 15 and 1. Yale in 1889 was 15 and 1. And Yale in 1894 was 16 and 0. So that's the only times in the history of college football a team has won 15 or more games. Like I said, nobody can win 16 games. It's not set up for that to happen. But for the second straight season, and only the sixth time in the history of the sport, a sport that goes very deep into the 1800s, had a lot more popularity than the American football that we see nowadays, really up through the 1960s. The only teams... To win 15 or more games in a college football season. Let's see. We'll be LSU. We'll be Ohio State. We'll be Clemson. Yeah, I'm looking forward to these games. You know, and don't rule out Oklahoma. It's interesting to see how that plays out. Last thing I wanted to get into today. We spent a lot of time talking about concussions and CTE. And a lot of bringing it up has a lot to do with what goes on in the world of football. And you think of football being such a violent sport and the likes of the Dave Dorsons and the Junior Seows and the likes of those that, man, just dealt so strongly with concussions and the effects of CTE that they could not manage to live their lives anymore. And, you know, I got friends that... Have dealt with concussions. I have dealt with concussions myself, and I've said this all along that it's very difficult to be able to discuss how somebody feels that has dealt with serious concussions, unless you've been through it yourself. Now you can say, "Hey, similar compassion prayers," you know, put the hands up, hope that you know you're wishing everybody the best. That's fine, but to actually understand what it's like to deal with the severity of headaches that exists with the concussion. The memory loss, which is sporadic. It's not consistent. It's not like you remember stuff and all of a sudden you don't remember stuff. But you have a pain that exists that kind of throbs towards the front of your head. You can take some Advil. You can take anything for it, but it's just not going to go away. And then it throbs. And then the consistent beating which seems like you're taken within your brain. Like I said, if you never dealt with it, you don't understand. So you're hearing Tim Thomas, the former goalie for the Boston Bruins, Stanley Cup winner, pretty good career. Is talking about the concussions that he's got a you know, he's still recovering from. And he's having a hard time and it's probably likely that he's going he's dealing with some form of cte and we think of hockey and obviously there is violence involved but you know tim thomas was a goalie sure he may have been crashed into a couple times you know i know he dropped his gloves a time or two as a goalie and participated in a fight or two but outside of that You don't think of the goalies being in the middle of the rink, you know, colliding at, you know, however many miles an hour, you know, it's not like football where there's, you know, car accidents like you see in, in hockey, the equivalent to it. So the guy is a goalie, but I think this brings, should bring more awareness to the thought of how do we handle concussions going forward? And doctors are doing everything that they can. I believe that, you know, these diagnosis, of certain forms of CTE, that from a human standpoint, we're doing everything that we can. But I do believe that it's tougher, and those that have been hit harder than I've been hit. You know, you think of Ryan Friel, former Major League Baseball player, is driven to suicide with a family. And he just, because of the pain in his head and the headaches and the CT he was dealing with, could not handle it anymore. And Junior Seau and Dave Thorson. And you think of all these players that, from a financial standpoint, probably are okay, probably have everything to live for, but it's like a part of their body has just basically shut down and has betrayed them. And I just hope that there is more awareness put out, but most importantly, some more understanding of what it's like for somebody to go through the severity of a head head injury or a brain injury. It's not a joke. And like I said, it's hard to relate to it unless you've actually dealt with it yourself. A little bit of a recap of the past ball show today, and we kind of threw a little filibuster today. I don't feel like I've spent a ton of time talking about stuff, but we started out today talking about baseball owners and their control that they've had over the sport. And the fact that they're going to dictate to the general public, to the players that play for their teams, exactly what they can afford and what they can't afford. Yet, you look at the sports of football and basketball, they don't have a problem paying players what they're worth. Every team in football, every team in basketball on a professional level can afford to sign any player to a big contract, can afford to retain any one of their players. And a lot of it is because of the salary cap. And I understand that Major League Baseball and the Players Association don't want to see a salary cap, but if done in conjunction with a salary floor, You're going to go to the owner of the Pirates and the Marlins and the Rays and the Athletics and the Indians and those sorry ass owners that think that they are the next Charlie Comiskey or Branch Rickey that can dictate exactly how much money they're going to allocate towards payroll and use the excuse that it's the market size. They're a small market team that can't afford to pay players. It'll get them out of the sport. It'll replace them with businessmen and women and people that actually can afford a Major League Baseball payroll. Because a baseball payroll, just like a football payroll, just like a basketball payroll, just like a hockey payroll, is not optional. It has to be part of the ownership of the team. When you buy a team, you're buying the payroll of paying the actual players. And with all the money that's shared from revenue sharing, from TV contracts, baseball being a multi-billion dollar business that it is, there is no excuse for any owner in Major League Baseball to claim poverty. There's no excuse for any Major League Baseball owner to say that they can't afford to operate their team at anything more than a 30 or 40 or 50 or even a 60 or 70 million dollar payroll. It's absolutely unacceptable. I understand it's become cliche. I understand that fans and people that cover the sport have just accepted it as being what it is. But it is absolutely 100% not acceptable. No other sport does this. No other sport has owners that decide that, hey, they're just not going to allocate a lot of money in payroll. And they're going to use the excuse that they happen to be in a small market. Look at the small markets in football. Jacksonville, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, Carolina. They all have competitive payrolls. Look at the small markets in the National Basketball Association. What do they all have in common? They have a payroll around a certain level. It's time that baseball straightens up their situation and decides what is a fair payroll. Is $200 million too much? If it is, Drop it to 175. Bring back parity that exists in the other sports. Because baseball is all about the haves and have-nots. It's all about the teams that go for it and care and want to win a World Series and the teams that could give the slightest shit about ever winning. The Mets are out there trying to win 86 games again. Well, they won 86 games last year. It wasn't acceptable. There's more that's got to be done by baseball. And I understand the commissioner works for the owners, and he's trying to save the owners' money, but they're ruining the sport right now. And the fact that there's so many teams that are sitting there crying poverty, claiming that they can't pay their own players, that means the owners need to get the hell out of the sport. Talked a little bit about 15 win teams in college football history. We'll have another one this year, or we might have another one. Uh, if Oklahoma wins, we won't have another one. But LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, all a chance to win 15 games just like Clemson did in 2018, just like Yale did in 1889, Penn did in 1892 and 1897. And listen, Yale holds the record most wins college football season ever 1894 with 16. Tim Thomas, I you know, was going through some stuff with the concussions. Let's. Bring more awareness to the severity of concussions and how they impact people's lives and brain injuries. The whole thing. We'll be back with you next week. Probably probably going to do a show Monday. So hope everybody has a good weekend. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. By Two Ways One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Got some football on Saturday. See if we'll get a little more hot stove going on in Major League Baseball. You got You know, Francisco Lindor, maybe he's going to get traded. Chris Bryant with the Cubs. You're talking about some teams that are looking to move players. You wonder if maybe some more have-nots will jump in and say, hey, this is our chance to be competitive and maybe go out there and win a World Series championship. We'll see what happens. We'll be back with you, like I said, on Monday. Have a nice weekend. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.